Welcome to another of the uh, Coot Street podcasts that Jonathan and I have been doing since March now, it seems. And today I'm delighted to spend 10 or more minutes with Hugo Award winning writer and longtime linchpin of Locus Magazine, Tim Pratt. How are you today, Tim? Doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a long time since I've had a chance to either visit you at Locus or see you at a, a well, nobody's been to a con this year, I guess. Um, yeah, interaction through cameras or not at all is pretty much it. Well, it's just, it turns out in some ways it's almost as well because you actually have a conversation where you're not being interrupted by somebody and nobody's nobody's surfing your shoulder to see if there's somebody more important in the room to talk to. Uh, <laughs> there's that, it's true. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a wonderful ongoing bar con. Um, but the question we ask everybody, and uh, if you've uh, heard any of these or heard about any of these, and I know you've heard about them, uh, <laughs> is, is, is what people read during uh, a time like this. And it's, the answers are fascinating. Uh, some people have a hard time reading at all. Some people think this is time to catch up on a classic I never finished. Okay, it's Gravity's Rainbow Time. <laughs> and other people just say, oh, give me an Agatha Christie. What's, what's your strategy for coping? Well, I had a... Uh... A probably bad idea for a pandemic project, which was I thought I would be on two award juries this year. Uh-huh. Uh, so last year I was part of the first jury for the Ray Bradbury Prize that the LA Times Book Award started giving. Oh, yeah. And it was me and Kelly Lincoln to Nana Reeve Do. And they wow. asked us all to do a second year because why break in a whole new batch of judges, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that they're planning going forward to have uh, two-year panels and then try to keep one person as an overlap person, right? Mm. And Kelly's our chair, so maybe they'll keep her for a third year. I don't know what their plans are. But, uh, and then I got asked to be a Philip K. Dick Award judge, and oh. my initial impulse was to say no because that's too much reading. But the, the, the Bradbury Prize is for any science fiction and fantasy book. So really, everything that's Dick Award eligible is a subset of the Bradbury anyway. Exactly, so right, yeah. <laughs> In practice, of course, this was... Not the case, because we don't get every book that's produced for the Bradbury, right? We get, you know, stuff gets sent to us. And now a lot of other things are being sent to me for the Dick Award. Well, this and is it's a lot of reading. Uh, no, I, one year I was on the, uh, uh, what was it? I was on the World Fantasy Award jury and the Tiptree Award jury in the same year. I think it was the Tiptree. Wow. Award. And yeah. it, I'm still trying to get rid of books. I'm still <laughs> moving books out of the, and I'm still getting stuff in the mail, I think. Sure. Once you're so, on the list, you're on the list forever. I know. So, And the Bradbury Prize is something. I, I just noticed this today, but uh, we're recording this on Thursday, and Saturday is Bradbury's 100th birthday. Yeah. Well, is, that's what they wanted. They um, It was sort of a rush deal last year because they wanted to have the first one given in his centennial year. Ah, uh-huh, it makes sense. But they, they didn't decide this until, like, June or something, though, so we got impaneled really late. And uh, had to do a ton of reading. So this year is easier. We have at least been able to read all year, as opposed to starting in August or whatever we did last year. Well, just of the things you've had to read in the last few weeks, what's really impressing you? Well, the thing I'm reading right now, to answer your original question, I just Uh, started uh, The Four Profound Weaves by R.B. Lindbergh, which I think you wrote, didn't you? I did. Yeah. For me, I'm curious to see what you think about it, because for me, it was one of these things that came out, I think it's Tachyon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd read a book of poems by uh, who was then Rose Lindbergh, and that was R.B. Lindbergh. And it was a very impressive book of poems, so I had no idea what the fiction was like. I didn't know anything about the bird verse, uh, mm-hmm. except that I'd read about it. So what, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, same here. I haven't read, I don't think, any of the Birdverse stories. Um, and I'm not very far in. I'm like 10 pages in. But it is very poetic and very lyrical so far. And it right. does the thing, really, I love in fantasy where you imply this vast world just with these strange little details. You know, I, I love a book that starts with just little mysteries that pique your curiosity and keep you going. Um, and it really does that. It's already set a bunch of little hooks. Right. And it's the sort of thing, and maybe it's, uh, it may be my bias because I do get so many books to review, but something that impi- implies a world. Uh, I was talking to, I think, Karen Tidbeck about her book, Amatka, uh, which is like that. It's, it's, it's this bizarre yeah. world, but you only get enough for the story. Mm-hmm. And, and the, of course, the maxi version of that is to lay out three volumes of world building before you start telling a story. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm kind of in the minimalist camp there, I'm afraid. I am, too. I Was it uh, Mike Harrison who called world building the clumping foot of nerdism? Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I like to, to – you can imply a world. You know, you don't need every bit of how the socioeconomic system works. You can just see what the effects are on the characters. That's always what interests me the most. Exactly. That's what I think. What, what else have you been reading, though? This, uh... um, I mean, lots and lots of things. I um, I read an interesting for the, for the Dick Award uh, – sort of peri-apocalyptic book called Road Out of Winter. Um, let's see oh, who the author is. I have oh. my shelf of all my books here. It's by Alison Stein, who I gather has written nonfiction before. Oh. Uh, I, I think this is the first fiction novel, and it's it's good. It's a very much like Day After Tomorrow, climate mm-hmm. change has come. In this particular book, the world is frozen. Like, there just wasn't a spring, there wasn't a summer. And so the main character is a a marijuana grower. Mm. So she has a very valuable set of skills because she knows how to grow stuff indoors under lights. That's and, interesting. Uh, I never thought about that, but that's a useful apocalyptic skill, I guess. And so it's sort of in the first year of society starting to fall apart, you know, food supply chains are disrupting. Right. And it becomes kind of a road trip novel across the South um, as they're trying to, you know, reconnect with family members and stuff like that because the communications grid has fallen down. You know, and right. it's got weird cults and, you know, sort of strange people creating their own miniature societies and replicating various flaws and trauma from our society, because why not? You build on what you know. But I thought it was an interesting book, and, and I read it in sweltering heat in a hammock outside, and it was nice to read about <laughs> in this winter. <laughs> I, you probably haven't had any time to even think about what you'd read on your own, but do you, do you get a chance to, with all the award stuff coming in the mail, I know that, do you, do you get a chance to kind of fall back on something that's comfortable that you just wanted to read because you like to read it or reread it for fun i tend to read a lot of mystery and crime fiction mm-hmm. and i haven't been able to read a ton of that but i did slip in a couple things um what did i read i read a ruth ware novel um that was sort of an updating of the turn of the screw mm. um it was turn of the screw in a smart house basically uh-huh. i forget what it was called the the turn of the lock or something like that but uh, it was, you know, it was a governess who thinks she's slowly going mad, but yeah. it's in us. So that was a pretty neat one. And um, I read uh, Kate Atkinson's newest one. What was it? Big Sky. I think that's Her, it. I've heard, I've heard good things about that. A couple of people have mentioned that. Yeah, this Jackson. I love that series. So that was cool. But also, even with the award reading, you know, stuff will come in and it will go to the top of the pile immediately oh yeah because sure. somebody i'm excited about you know 
as opposed to something I don't know anything about, which I might become excited about. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm torn between uh, a book that I'm really looking forward to, like, let's say, the Stan Robinson book that's coming out in November. Uh, but I'm also excited by something like the, the Four Profound Weaves, where I don't know what to expect. Exactly. Oh, and then there are all the books in between where you kind of know that you know that this author is going to be pretty good, and this author is somebody who is going right on the resale pile. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of, uh, not speaking of the resale pile, but speaking of forthcoming things, uh, I know you've got what it sounds like your major novel is coming out. Uh, how soon? It's got a little while yet. I think it's out in February of next year. Um, copy edits and stuff are just yeah. finished. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about it. It's, um, it's a standalone. It may start a new series because I really love the character and I've been talking to the publisher about doing a sequel, but nothing's official yet. Tell, you know, tell, how us, it is. tell us the title. It's called, um, Doors of Sleep. And it's a great big, weird multiverse adventure novel. I love multiverse stories. Mm-hmm. I even, you know, I like multiverse stories, even where it's the universe next door, where it's sort of only very small changes, but for this book, I wanted to explore a really weird multiverse where apart from adhering to the basic laws of physics, the different branches of the universe are incredibly strange. Mm. And the basic premise is there's a character who it started when he was in his early 20s. When he falls asleep, every time he falls asleep, he wakes up in a different universe. And the upside is if he finds himself in a terrible place, he can take a sedative or something and get out of it. Mm-hmm. The downside he ends up in a place he really likes. He can only stay there as long as he can stay conscious. And my, my agent, uh, my agent said it's quantum leap meets sliders, which are pretty old references, but it does uh, does capture the sort of involuntary nature of it. And so well, his life is. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, just uh, his life is pretty hard because he never knows where he's going to end up. He never gets, you know, really past the bottom rung of the hierarchy of needs for the most part. He can take people with him. If people are essentially like in his arms when he falls asleep, they will travel with him. Mm-hmm. But they never get to go back and they don't know where they're going to go. So he sometimes rescues people from horrible situations and they'll travel for a while. But then they find some place that's great and they don't have to leave <laughs> or they get separated. You know, if he loses track of somebody and some gets hit in the head hard enough to knock him out, he's gone. They're lost forever. So. Sounds like a kind of classic. You're right. It's something that could either be a fantasy or an SF conceit, and or it could be both. Uh, I yeah, mean, I gave it some thought. He never goes to Narnia, you know, but he oh. does go to some places where the technology is so advanced that it may as well be magic. Right. So I, I kind of get to have my cake and eat it. But basically, you're following the laws of physics. Right. You know? He doesn't go to places where it rains lollipops or whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of places where there's, you know, there's nanotech or there's advanced biotech. And, you know, it's just incredibly weird stuff. You know, he goes to a world where they're it's all living skeletons. They seem to be sort of animated, but they seem to be animated mechanically. They have hydraulic bones hmm. and probably some sort of computer brains <laughs> uh, and a very weird religion. Um, and I sort of when I I'm in between a pantser and a plotter. You know, so I had an outline. Uh-huh. I sold it on a proposal, but I left myself a lot of room to create the individual worlds on the fly. You know, that sounds great. Now, what else do you have between now and the time the novel comes out? Have you got? I know you've been. Uh, you, you, you have one very successful series going. I, I want. I wanted to ask you this for years: the Marla Mason series. Yep. 
Only somebody in my generation would always start to say that and end up saying Marla Maples. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. I just yeah, wanted to see if you'd heard that before. I get Marla Manson, too. Okay. Well, that's that's okay, I guess. Um, but uh, any stories that you're working on? or uh, I'm, Yeah, I do have um, the thing that's currently in progress, which should be out by the end of the year. is um, So I had my Axiom Space Opera series that I did for Angry Robot. Mm-hmm. And it was a trilogy, and I did wrap it up in the last book, but I like the characters a lot, and so I'm doing a collection of three novellas, uh-huh. uh, sort of focusing on characters who were supporting characters in the series but never got, like, center stage. Never got their own things. Yeah. So not, quite red, not quite red shirts, but... Yeah, no, they're important characters, and, you know, some of them were the ones that the fans loved the most, but they weren't ever, you know, sort of viewpoint characters, central story about them, So I'm so I'm doing ones like that. Um, I'm writing one of those right now about the cyborg engineer from the series, Ashok. And then I'll do a couple more, and it should be out by the end of the year if all goes well. Well, you're certainly keeping busy during the lockdown. Between all that, we haven't even talked about all the work you do for Locust, <laughs> uh, which, as a reviewer, I should say I've always appreciated. So I appreciate that you turn in beautiful, clean copy. That's okay. great. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks for that. But, okay, we're over our time, as as always. Um so, uh, once again, this has been uh, the Crude Street Podcast. I'm Gary Wolf, and we've just spent 10 minutes with Tim Pratt. And thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah.